Good evening, everyone. Great singing, actually, with, you know, a good, decent size evening crowd. So, it was nice. Turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Sam coming in there kind of reminded me of the expression that a man should be prepared to preach, pray, or play electric guitar in a moment's notice. <laughs> now, I've got to turn this so I can see that my slides change, or so I know what I'm speaking on. There. Hope that's not in your eyes. That's good. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, you can see it better than that. <laughs> we'll have to start seat back uh, monitors for everybody. So, all right, let's uh, let's turn to the Lord for a moment. Father, thank you this morning, or this evening rather, for bringing us together. We thank you as we think of your greatness. We started this morning at the Lord's Supper, singing "Holy, Holy, Holy," and thinking of your greatness. We started singing our day with the greatness of God. And it is great that we can sing into the evening, how great thou art. I pray as we look into your word this evening that you will have something for us. As our brother John reminded us this morning that it's not that people would see the preacher or hear the words that we say, but may we hear the words from the word of God. And may you speak to our hearts. I ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this evening we're at the conclusion of our study in Ecclesiastes. and I find it really sometimes difficult to end the series, to come to the end of it. It's kind of like you're saying goodbye to an old friend. It's a hard thing to come to the end of a series, especially in the Scriptures. And we did visit it a number of years ago. It's about 20 years ago that we, almost exactly 20 years ago, we did a study in the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, a lot of water has gone under the bridge in 20 years um, in, in all of our lives. And uh, so here we are again. And it's interesting because when we did that, and I could not find my notes anywhere. I knew I had notes, and I know I had spoken on chapter 12. And I tore my study apart on Thursday night, desperate looking for those notes. And they're nowhere to be found. So the Lord said, you're going to do something fresh. And so I started to do something fresh, and I had about a 10-minute message at the end of that. And I thought, oh, boy. So uh, long into the night on, on Friday night working, <laughs> and I, I, I thought, well, there's a lot in this and could probably do it in a couple of messages. So uh, we'll, we'll do this. I want to say one thing um, about this study. It's been great. I, I've really enjoyed the study going through it. It's a difficult book. It's, it can be a tedious book at times. But what I'm really thankful for... Um, and I know they're here, I don't want to embarrass anyone, but the young men, Matt, uh, Nick, and Sam, who have um, helped to teach through a good part of the study and have given us some very, they've put some good meat on the table for us and really have appreciated that. And I think this is a, a study to really stretch anybody, somebody who's, who's taught the scriptures for years would have a difficult time going through the book of Ecclesiastes and uh, you guys stuck your hand up to do some very, very difficult chapters, and, and it's, it, it was great for us. So, All right, so let's get right into this. We're going to go back to chapter 11 and verse uh, 9 and 10, just to 
to finish up from where Matt left off. Um, uh, chapter 11, verse 9. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let... Uh, actually, it was Nick that left off there. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young, man, of young manhood, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for these things. So remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body because uh, childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Now, it may say in your version, yep, I use the New American Standard, it says that they are vanity. So I want to stop there for a second. I've entitled this part, Rejoice While You, st- while you Can. Um, so this, this is really particularly, he's given instruction to young men, or a young man in particular. It could be his son, it could be his grandson. Solomon is probably an old man by the time he wrote this, and for him a lot of water has gone under the bridge. Uh, He started off um, really serving the Lord, and he built that magnificent temple, but he had surrendered his heart to other gods as he followed other women. And Solomon is now at the point, when he writes Ecclesiastes, his life is full of regrets for all of the stuff that, that he didn't do right, all the opportunities that were lost, all the careless living that is behind him, all the living that he did with life under the sun. That's the whole point of the book. You're looking at at what life is like without God. Life that is just lived for the here and now on this earth. John, you mentioned this this morning. We live in a very materialistic world. We live in a here and now world. That's, That's the way most people live. And Solomon is writing this whole book to say, here's what life living for today on this world and nothing beyond this is all about. He takes about 11 chapters to get you there. And he goes over and over and over again and telling you that living for the here and the now, that's what this, is, this is what the end result is. So in chapter 12, and we get there, we, he's going to wrap it all up and say, however, this is the whole matter. This, this is not the way you want to live. This is not the, the direction you want to go. So as an old man, he's, he's speaking directly to a young man or a group of young men. As I say, a son or a grandson, perhaps. He's, he's writing these words for them. And he is telling them, like, don't waste your opportunities. Don't live without regard for God. Don't live your life under the sun. Enjoy your life, but understand that you will give an account to God for what you do with your life. Listen to your elders more than your peers. Now... I'm saying those things, I'm putting words in his mouth, but I remember my grandfather, he had a little plaque on the wall, and it said, we grow too soon old and too late smart. And it was a little ceramic plaque, I can see it to this day, and there was an older couple on it. And he used to take me to that plaque as a young guy, and then as a teenager, and then sometimes in my 20s, he would just quote it, because he wouldn't bother to get up and walk over to it, but he would point to the thing, and he'd say, we grow too soon old, and too late smart. I didn't want to mess it up by quoting it wrong. And I I used to think, yeah, whatever. Well, that's what most teenagers think. Yeah, whatever. Well, that's much worse. (laughs) And I I would think, like, so what? Well, thanks, Matt. That's much better. So what? What does that mean? Well, you know what? I'm starting to feel too soon old. Uh, Seriously, I'm starting to feel too soon old. 
And I'm starting to think of all the stuff I wish I did and should have done and could have done a lot better than I do now. And I'm thinking if I were to write a book today, especially because I'm really tired today and I'm just really cranky today, and I'm thinking if I were to write a book today, I'd write the book of Ecclesiastes. That's what I would write. I'm now too soon old and I'm too late smart. There are things in my life I look back and I think, I wish I did this. I wish I learned that. I've never, I've never learned to skate. I'm a Canadian. I've never learned to skate, ever. But you know what? I bought skates a few years ago. Gave it the try. Went out with my sons on the, on, the, on the ice. 15 minutes into it, I thought, I will damage some part of my body that will never repair. <laughs> Skates came off and they'll never go on again. I sold them. I think, or actually, I gave them to Brian Dillman, I think. But, you know, the, you get to a point in your life. I realize right now in my life, I will never grow a good, full black beard. It's just not going to happen. I mean, just for men can help me. But, but there's all <laughs> kinds of things that, that you look at your life and you think, Ah, that much of my life has passed by. I will never get to do that. I will never get to do that. You get there way quicker than you think. So, that's part of the point. But the thing is, young people, the word tells you to, uh, to enjoy your life. To enjoy the life you have. Not to live for sin, not to just pleasure yourself, but to live a life of enjoyment. But know that whatever you choose to do to enjoy your life, you are going to give an account to God for every deed you, you do. John spoke this morning of two judgments. You're a believer. Yes, you will never stand before the great white throne. You will never stand there and be judged. You will, however, stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account, and I will give an account for every moment of my life, and whether I've wasted it and squandered it, I watched TV instead of doing this, I read this book instead of doing that, I did that instead of doing that, or I'm rewarded because I did this instead of watching TV, or I'm rewarded because of this, or someone's rewarded because they preached the gospel to somebody. Again, it's, it, we don't want to make the judgment seat of Christ as a place that's going to be, oh, well, what a horrible place that's going to be. No, there are going to be great rewards passed out at the judgment seat of Christ. So what we do in this life to bring pleasure in our lives, we will stand before God on those things. Now, oh yeah, I pointed down there. I'm so confused with all this stuff that's all around me here, especially when it doesn't advance. There we go. So here's what Paul writes about youth. Solomon says childhood and youth are vanity. But that's if your life is lived under the sun. Paul is speaking of your life lived under the S-O-N, life under the Son of God. He writes these words in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. And I want to encourage our young people, and there's a bunch of them here tonight. I'm so glad you are. Live these words. Take these words in your Bible, highlight them, go back to them, and think about these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Second Timothy, in the same book written to the same person by the same author, now flee, youthful, uh, flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So it's natural and it's proper for young people to enjoy youthful years. 
but it should be done pleasing God, knowing that you will give an account for these things. Second point is we will continue in the book. Remember your creator. Let's uh, look at chapter 12. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near and you will say, when you will say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun, the light, the moon, and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. I'm going to stop there. I think I'll just, uh, instead of reading the whole passage, I'll just read uh, the verses as we, as we cover them. Remember also your creator in the days of your, your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no delight in them. You know, the instruction here is not just think about God. It's not just, just something light like that. He's saying, pay attention, consider, obey your creator in the days of your youth. Matthew six thirty three says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. The first we are to do is to remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember him. Seek him while you were young. Now, just some thoughts that I, that I have on this. It's important. I think these words are really important to you who are young and, are, and you're here tonight and for your friends. And I have just a couple of thoughts that, I, that I, I put down on this. First of all, I'm not tall enough or something. First of all, when you're young, and you're learning these things from the scriptures, we learn, and you learn of your creator. That's when you first learn, in your, in your young formative years. And the foundation of your future faith can be laid as a young person. Remembering your creator from the days of your youth. Those foundations are laid. I, I, I can speak from personal experience. There's a, there's a time in your life when you learn these things, when you learn the scriptures, when you learn of God, when you first learn of of your creator and what he has done and his greatness and who he is. And maybe it's in Sunday school. Maybe it's from singing the songs. Maybe you didn't grow up with any of that. But, but a lot of people become conscious and wonder about how did I get here and all of those things when they're young. Seek out those answers when you're young. Because I believe that by the time you get into formal learning in school and especially university, the world is going to work very, very hard to dismantle those things in your life. The world is gonna work very, very hard to take anything of faith that you learned as a young person. I speak from personal experience. I can speak of people who are here, who right now are going through college and the things that they face. There are crafty lies out there, there's an anti-God agenda, and it will be shoved down your throat hard. I went to college as a young man Fully believing, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I believed everything in that Bible from cover to cover. Not a believer in Jesus Christ, not a Christian. But I, I, I accept that this whole book is fact. It took three years. It took three years for me to turn. It happens fast. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Commit your life to Christ as a young person. Do not let the world sell its agenda to you. Secondly, what I like here is it says, your creator. Remember 
your creator in the days of your youth. This is not just some mystical out there God being that's just sitting there, feet up, running the universe. This is a God who's your creator and cares about you. Each one of you, he knows your name, he knows the hairs on your head, he knows everything about you. Your creator, you can have a personal relationship with him. The third thing, and I remember this not too long ago, a preacher in our pulpit said this, that it is difficult or hard for, a young, for an older person to get saved. That struck me. I'd never heard that before. I never thought about that before. Bob McGregor was who it was, who was the preacher. And he said that one day. And I sat right there and I, I just about shook in my boots, thinking, well, I didn't have boots on, I had shoes on. But it, it just shook me that day. It is hard for an old person to get saved. And I thought about that, and that, that's been with me for a long, long time. And as I read the experiences of the people who go downtown and talk to people, how many people, John, how many people do you run into? I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up going to church. I used to go to a Bible chapel. I used to go to a Baptist church. My father was a pastor. My mother was saved. My grandmother took me to Sunday school. And now I'm old and I don't want to have anything to do with it. It's true. Very true. Week after week after week, you tell me a story of somebody who grew up in a Christian home. That lady last week outside of Neptune Theater. Parents are saved. Parents are going to heaven. Parents have a real faith. I want to have nothing to do with it. As you get older, as the world crowds in, it gets harder and harder for a person to get saved. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. The fourth thing, I'm glad I'm doing this 20 years later because now I'm old. But life will get very busy very fast. And if you don't remember your creator in the days of your youth, if you don't develop and establish and work on a relationship with God when you're young, life will get so busy. It will all pass you by, and like Solomon, you'll sit down to write the story of your life, and it'll be full of regret because you forgot the Lord for so many years. It's tragic. It's tragic. I, I was in touch with somebody just this past week, a believer, and they've let 30 years of their life just go by, drifting. Been a believer since they were young but their life has drifted away on them because they just let things got busy and things got distracting and they got into stuff and they got into that and now they want to get back but, they, but they, they know they can't get back to where it was 30 years ago because now they're older. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth and if you don't remember anything else from the whole message tonight, remember that one verse. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth because the hard days will come. The difficult days will come, and it will put a strain on you. It'll be hard to walk with the Lord if you're not walking with the Lord when you're young. It can be easy to neglect him and get caught up in the enjoyments and opportunity of youth, but have a good foundation. Walk with him during the youthful years in the bright sky, it says in, in chapter 11, because the time will come when there'll be darkness and storms. Let's continue on, and we'll look at, yeah, here we go. Yeah, I subtitled this one, Old Age Isn't What It's Cracked Up To Be. <laughs> you know, this is, this is quite interesting. Um, 
Scholars don't all agree on this, the interpretation, but this is comparing your old body as it goes down to an old house that's deteriorating. And many scholars don't. However, my favorites, Bill McDonald, Warren Wearsby, and Henry Morris have all taken this approach, so I agree with them. I usually agree with everything they say, so you know what? The scholars can say what they want. These are my scholars here. They're, they're, they're my favorites, so they're in my top ten list. Top three, actually. The dwelling place is one of, it's kind of a biblical metaphor for the human body. You read that in Job chapter 4, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and also uh, it's called the tent, and in 2 Peter chapter 1, our body is called the tent or a dwelling place. So taking down a house, or, or how many times have you heard somebody's tent went, is going down? They're getting old and they're dying, right? The, his tent is just going down. So it's interesting because he references all these things. And I'm going to tell you what, what, kind of what they are. So let's read uh, from verse 3. Verse 4. In the day when the watchmen of the house tremble, and the mighty men stoop, and the grinding ones stand idle because they are few, and those who look through windows grow dim, and the doors on the street are shut, and the sound of the grinding mill is low, and one will arise at the sound of the bird, and the daughters of the song will sing softly. Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. And the almond tree blossoms, the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags himself along, and the caperberry is ineffective, or desire is gone, it may say in your version. Uh, for man goes to his eternal home where mourners go about in the street. Remember him, remember the, your creator. Before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed and the pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it to the to God who gave it vanity of vanities says the preacher all is vanity uh, this is probably why I'm cranky today as I studied through this and I started thinking you know this is me. <laughs> this is the way I'm starting to feel. When it says about the, the keepers of the house, your arms and your hands, they start to tremble as you get older. I find like, I, I'm now trying to renew my youth and play guitar with these guys on Sunday mornings. But I have special picks. And they're, they're rough so that I don't drop them because my fingers, my hands aren't like they used to be. They're not as nimble. I drop stuff all the time. And I can't hold on to it. So I have special picks that they're called gator picks. Aren't they gator? Is that the Yeah, yeah. Gator picks. They're, they're like a roughed up alligator tongue or something. And, and I can hold on to them and they won't slip around on me. Why? Because I'm getting old. My feelings aren't there in my fingertips like they used to be. And I drop stuff. Try putting a, a, a tiny little screw on a tiny little bolt. I can't do it. Strong men, the supporting foundation of your house. Your legs, your knees, your shoulders weaken. And you walk bent over. I know I'm working on the standing up straight thing, but you know what? Again, if I, if I don't move around for a couple of days, boy, my, my legs and my hips get <laughs> wretched, you know? So I'm gonna, tonight, I was, today, I was going to go have a little nap, and I thought, no, I don't need a nap. I just, my strong men are starting to, to talk to me. So I went for a walk before I came here tonight. So <laughs> did a 3K just to, just, just to, 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 to move them. The grinders, the teeth are no longer... I have a few root canals and caps and stuff now. 
Your, your grinders, your teeth, they start falling out of your head. There's not enough top ones to meet the bottom ones. You know what's really interesting is when you're young and you can't afford a steak, but you could chew, you could chew through anything. And now when you're old, you can afford the steak, but your teeth won't work to chew it. So, I mean, it's just the way you're going in this life. The windows, the eyes, they've been failing. First you need glasses, then you need bifocals, then you need trifocals, then you need surgery for cataracts. Then you've got to get a Bible with large type and a magnifying glass so you can read through it. I mean, it's just the way it's going to go in life. And it happens for everybody. The doors refers to, uh, to the ears. Everything has to be repeated to you over and over again. Sometimes it's convenient, but, but, but you just don't hear like you used to. Loud noises, like the grinding of a mill. It's low and distant. You could live next to a mill when you're young, and it drives you crazy, the noise all the time. You get old, and you what? I don't even hear it anymore. You rise up early. Now, this is an interesting one. You wake with the birds early in the morning, it says here. And, you know, you wish you could sleep longer. This is really interesting. I now wear earplugs to bed, in, especially in the spring, because the sound of the birds chirping outside my window will wake me up at 4 o'clock in the morning. And I can't get back to sleep. Just, <laughs> it's part of getting old. Music. Your voice starts to quaver and weaken. That's why I'm playing guitar with these guys, so I can try to set the clock back on that. Afraid. You get afraid of heights, afraid of falling when you walk down the street. You should see me walking from my car if it's down there in the wintertime if it's icy. I'm like a really, really old person because I'm scared to death I'm going to fall. Before, I didn't care. But now I know if I fall, my life has changed. I break my hip, I break my arm, I break my shoulder. I'll never, I'll never pitch a 105 mile an hour fastball again. The almond tree. The almond tree refers to your hair. Hair turning white. If you've got any left, it'll turn white. I rest my case. And then there's the grasshopper. The grasshopper, it's interesting. Two different ways it can be interpreted. First of all, the grasshopper, it's a burden. Even the lightest of objects, it's hard to pick up and carry when you get old. So the grasshopper, as agile as it is, it has a hard time carrying things. The other thing is, it could be like a grasshopper, and if you ever notice them, they're really easy to catch, by the way, if you want to, in August, September, because they really slow down as the summer goes by. And as they get older, a grasshopper is really, really slow. And, they, and they're kind of just making their way along. So maybe that's, it's that kind of imagery. And then it speaks of the caperberry, or desire. Caperberry in the NASB and the, and the NET it, it, it's, if it's caperberry, it's, ref, it's referring probably to sexual desire because caperberry was, was one of those kind of aphrodisiac sort of things that people took. Uh, if it's desire, it could also be speaking of, your, of just your appetite. I guess the bottom line is your zest and your basic drives just start petering out as you get older. What do you want to eat tonight? I don't know. I'll just have a cereal supper. Really? That sounds like me. I mean, it just kind of goes that way. And then it speaks of your long home. So this degenerative process takes you to your long home, eternity. Your long home, you'll be there forever. The sobering thing about that, that we need to think before that funeral procession comes, where will you spend eternity? Where is eternity for you? If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, as we heard this morning, I, I could have jumped out of that chair and gone straight to heaven this morning, hearing that message. Seriously, I mean, 
I didn't want to go home. I didn't want lunch. I didn't want anything else. I just wanted to go and be with the Lord. That was, that's, that's the believer's desire. If you don't have that, do not leave tonight without knowing for sure where your eternity stands. And then there's this reference to the golden bowl in verse 6. What's the golden bowl? Well, it's possibly a lamp that's hanging from the ceiling from a silver chain or a silver cord. And this fragile cord of life is snapped and the light goes out when it falls. That's a, that's a possible interpretation. It's a really hard thing to, to, to understand and, and know what this is all referring to. Um, the whole thing is he's saying, you know what? Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember him before this happened, before the golden or the, the, the silver cord is snapped. The silver cord obviously speaks of life because you can't remember your creator after that silver cord is snapped, so then you're dead at that point in time. And this fragile cord of life, it's snapped, the life goes out. You know, if it's referring to this, this lamp, it speaks of these lamps that wealthy people had. Costly lamps. Solomon would have been well aware of that, being king and having many, many palaces and homes. But also, what he's saying here is that death is not a respecter of persons. You have rich men. You have Steve Jobs dies. You have poor men. You have Ray, the man who collected on the streets. He dies too. They both go to eternity. They both go to the same place. Eternity. Heaven or hell, with God, with the Lord, or separated from the Lord. It's one or the other. But every person will face this. Every person will face this. For everyone, the silver cord will be snapped. And what is on the other side? That's what's important. Are you ready for that? Are you prepared for that? The snapping of the silver cord is the breaking of the tender thread of life. Fanny Crosby wrote these words. Someday the silver cord will break, and I no more as now shall sing, but oh the joy when I shall wake within the palace of the king. What a way to look at life. What a way to look at death. And this is a blind lady who wrote this. For the believer, when the body deteriorates, you see, when you read Ecclesiastes and you don't look at it in the, in the light of of knowing Christ and of knowing God, and it's just under the sun. It is all vanity. It is emptiness. It is a waste. But Paul writes these words. Because for the believer, it's not vanity and hopelessness. Rather, we go to be with the Lord. It says in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly await for a, a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, by the exertion of the power that he uh, has, even to subject to all things to, to himself. Second Corinthians chapter 5, 6, and 9. Therefore, being of good courage, and always knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For if we walk by faith, not by sight, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we have as our ambition whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. I want to move on and just quickly uh, finish this off. This is the epilogue. Now, if you're old like me and you remember watching things like the streets of San Francisco, 
<laughs> they kind of wrap things up and then they come back and do the epilogue. After everything's been done, you know, it looks like they've arrested the guy. And then the epilogue, it would come up on the, on the screen. <laughs> I don't know if you, you may, you wouldn't remember that. You didn't watch Streets of San Francisco. Did you watch Streets of Legos? No. <laughs> 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 so, verse 9. In addition to being a wise man, the preacher, Solomon, also taught the people knowledge, uh, and he pondered and searched out and arranged many proverbs. The preacher sought out to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. The words of wise men are like goads, and masters, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned, the writing of many books is endless, and excessive devotion to books is wearying to the bones. You know, we learn primarily about God from his word. Pretty much everything we know about God comes from the scriptures, from his word. We also learn from a couple of other things. We learn from creation. We do learn of God from creation. I, I went over this walk tonight and I stood on top of this cliff and I looked down over the Atlantic Ocean and I thought, wow, 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 wow. And I came home at the end of the day today and I went up to my little barrel that's sitting there and I looked and there's this little green thing sticking up and I took a chive and I ate it in March from my own garden back to life. Creation. God is wonderful. I learn of God from that. Just wonderful. History. We see how God worked in history. We, 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 Israel. You follow Israel. You can't help but think, man, God is amazing. He's preserved his people through all these wars, through all these things, all these years. And we learn of God through the experiences of life. God has taken you through something. You learn of him. But primarily we learn of him through, his, through, through the truth of his word. So Solomon is saying here that, you know what, I, I've, here, I've done this work. I've, I've written these, these things down. First of all, he, he did it in a way, in verse 9 he says, he was wise. Solomon, one of the wisest men uh, ever to live, you read that in 1 Kings chapter 3, he studied and explored many subjects, and his conclusions, he wrote them down in Proverbs. And he sought to transmit transmit this, this wisdom in Proverbs. You read the book of Proverbs, it is full of, of wisdom from a wise man. Like then, again, he says orderly or arranged in verse 9. After studying a matter, he weighed the conclusions carefully, and that was his whole approach. He was scientific in his approach to things. Solomon sought to be careful in his teaching and used what he calls acceptable words, meaning pleasing or gracious words, so he could win the attention of his listeners. So he gave what he calls in Proverbs, upright words of truth. And then he claims, interesting, inspired. That these words that you read here are inspired. Now, inspiration is a miracle. It, it really is. Like just the inspiration of Scripture. God speaking to a man, and a man writing them down, and those words preserved forever is a miracle. And the words of Solomon, even the words of Ecclesiastes, although I would disagree with Schofield, who says they're not inspired, the words of Solomon, his, they're, they're, the, they're the speakings. If you get an old, old Schofield Bible, you'll see in the notes that he says that, the, that, the, that the, 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 the speakings of Solomon, while those words are not inspired, it reflects this of a man. And I'm thinking, no, no, no. It says right here they're inspired. It is inspired, God-breathed word of God for us, all of it. 
And he says that they're goads or nails. Now, goads prod people along to pay attention. So his words are, are, are goads to, to, to prod you along in your walk with God. And nails are things that you can hang on to. Driven nails. You can hang on to the word of God. If the word of God says it, take that as a tent peg. It'll, it'll, it'll hold up under any storm. It's the word of God. Now, so the warning in this, though, because he talks about many books, many books, he says, it's a warning. Do not go beyond what God has written in his word. You know, I have great commentaries. I mentioned three of the guys that I really like, William MacDonald, Warren Wiersbe, and Henry Morris. Hardly ever disagree with what they write. But I'll tell you what, test their books by the truth of God's word not the other way around. Never take a book, never take a sermon, never take somebody's video or somebody's DVD or somebody's truth that they got from somewhere else and, and stack that up and say, I'm going to see if the word of God stacks up to that. Go to the word of God first, and if their word does not line up to the word of God, reject it. Reject it 100% of the time. There is so much stuff out there now. There is so much available to us. There are great tools on the internet. There are great tools in books. There are great speakers. There are great preachers. There's great writers. But there's also ones that are in error. And you do have litmus paper to put and test that. And that is the Word of God. Always, always check it against the Word of God. All right, I got to really, really speed along here. The other teacher we have is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, and I, I'll, I'll whip through this. Jesus says of, of the Holy Spirit that he will teach us. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you in all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. John chapter 15, verse 26. When the Helper, the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify about me. He will teach and he will testify. And then in John chapter 16, verses 12 to 15, I have many more things to say to you. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. But you, uh, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he, again, the Holy Spirit is a person. Don't let anybody ever tell you Jesus regards the Holy Spirit as a person. So therefore, I regard the Holy Spirit as a person, not an influence, not anything else. Do not ever be deceived to think the Holy Spirit is anything other than a person of the Godhead. He will guide you in all truth. So he will teach you, he will testify, he will guide, and then as we continue on, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will... Uh, he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All uh, that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and he will disclose it to you. So he, he teaches, he testifies, he guides, and he discloses and he speaks. The word shepherd here is interesting. It's capitalized in most, uh, most versions. So immediately somebody looks at that and says, ah, shepherd, capitalized, it's got to be talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps it is, I don't know. However, 
should also be understood in Eastern thought that the king is looked at as a shepherd. Homer, a uh, historian from way, way back, said all kings are shepherds of the people. So it could be that King Solomon was referring to himself as one shepherd. That's, a, that's an interpretation of this. Or it could be speaking of Christ. Again, it's one of those things that in translation has been capitalized, it has been, been interpreted. Okay, now, just as you would want me to say, here is the conclusion of the matter. The conclusion of the matter. We've reached the conclusion of the book, and thank you for those of you who have stuck with us to the end. A difficult book, but a great value in the Word of God. We don't own our own lives. We are stewards of what God has given us, the lives we have given us, that he has given us. One day we must give an account to God for what we've done with the gift of life that he has given us. You know, some people spend their lives. A lot of people, most people, spend their lives. That's what they do. What did you do? Oh, I spent my life doing this. I spent my life on this. This is my career. Ooh, I spent my life. You know what we can do? We can invest our lives rather than spend them. We can invest our lives. A quote from Corey Tenboom: The measure of a life, after all, is not its duration, but its donation. I like that. It's not its duration. It's not whether you make it to 86. It's not whether you make it to 96. It's the donation of your life, the giving of your life, the giving to others, the giving to God. Solomon gives us three things here that we are to do. This is the conclusion of the matter, he says. In verse 13, he says, The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. First thing, fear God. That doesn't mean go around being scared of God. It means hold God in awe. We had a day, I think today was a day of fearing God. We start off the morning singing, holy, holy, holy. That's fearing God. That's putting God in his place in your life. We sing tonight, how great thou art. That's fearing God. Rightfully respecting and knowing where God stands in this world and everything. Oswald Chambers says, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. There are so many fearful people in the world. But you bring up God, I don't want to hear about it. Do you know why you have fears? You have fears because you don't fear God. You want to get rid of those fears, fear God. I don't want to hear about it. And they go back to their fears. Fear God. It wipes out fear. Secondly, keep his commandments. <laughs> I read this little quote. Well, first of all, God gives us an instruction manual. He really does. And most people say, when all else fails, read the instructions. You know what, I'm gonna give you a, a, a different bit of advice. Don't wait until it fails to read the instructions. Now, my wife laughs at me, everybody laughs at me, because I'll go out and buy a new toaster, and I'll sit at the table with the instruction book, and I'll read that whole instruction book on a new toaster. We all know the way a toaster works. Pop it in, push it down, turn it to how, how burnt you want it, and it'll pop up. I cannot put a device in my house, anything. I don't care if it's a toaster, I don't care what it is. I read the manual. I always read the manual before I use it. People think, you're nuts. No, I'm not. You don't believe the stuff I've learned about stuff. 
and, and then forgot because I'm old. But, but you wouldn't believe. Like, you, you look at it and think, ah, that's why that didn't work that way. That's why, you know, or you'll call somebody and say, you know how you were telling me your snowblower wasn't working? Yeah. Well, I just got a new snowblower. Yeah, so what? But yours is new. I said, yeah, but I read the manual, and it says in it this. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Cool. Well, I do, because I read the manual. Don't wait until you're in trouble to read the manual. Usually when that happens, something's broken. And now you're not just getting that. You're getting the parts manual, and you're ordering something in. So God's giving you the manual. Don't wait until life is broke to read it. Read it now. Read it while you've got it, while things are, are, are working. All right. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. Oh, look at that. I've got a half page left. The third thing he says is prepare for judgment. God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, he says. But know that for all these things, this is in chapter 3, verse 17. But know for all these that God will bring you to judgment, it says in chapter 11, verse 9. Man seems to be getting away with a lot of sin today, don't they? This world is just bent on sin. And they're getting away with it all. But you know what? I'm going to tell you something. I know the conclusion of the matter. John spoke of it today. Man will face God. They will. They will give an account. They will be judged. We will all be judged for what we've done and not done. When the wicked stand before that great white throne, as we read of it in Revelation chapter 11, uh, 20 rather, 11 to 15, it will be a horrific time. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Prepare for that. Prepare your heart for that. Conclusion on the book of Ecclesiastes. Is life worth living? That's how we started off. My first question when we started, is life worth living? Yes, is the answer. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, life is definitely worth living. You can invest your life, you can serve the Lord, you can remember your Creator, you can lead others to the Creator. You can be satisfied no matter what God may allow to come into your life. Last verse. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. I hope you have life. And we have life in Christ. We do not live under the sun. We do not say vanity, vanity, all is vanity. We say we have life in Jesus Christ. And we have great hope, not like the rest, but we have great hope in him. Father, thank you this evening as we conclude the study of this book. Father, it seems like 11 and a half chapters of just looking at life through a a dark lens. But when we get to the conclusion of the matter and we understand that we have a creator, we have a God, we have a king, we have great hope, our life is not vanity. Our life is filled with hope, with glory, and the promise of your coming. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to live this way. I pray that you'd help us this week to share the gospel with one person or maybe many people, of the hope that we have, of the life that we have, that we would live our lives full out for the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. Do you guys want to sing one song before we go? How about, uh, this has been going through my head for the last while, and I don't know if you guys are okay with playing it. Jesus, all for Jesus. <laughs>